This is the You Are Not Listening to This Podcast. And I am Will James. So I don't know where this one's going to go, which is how a lot of these happen. It's also why there aren't a lot of these. Um, I go on rants and then I delete them because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings <laughs> most of the time. Uh, it's like free therapy for me, except I I keep dodging topics with hopes of print, you know posting these that keep coming up and end up it's it's a problem. So I guess we're just gonna have to freestyle it and. Uh, let the chips fall where they may. I um it's been a year for everyone, right? It's March of twenty twenty one and we are in our homes. I'm in my home. <laughs> um my wife is vaccinated. I had a first dose. The kids' teachers are vaccinated, my parents are vaccinated. So if there's a light somewhere towards the end of the tunnel, you know, but a lot of people are gone that were here a year ago in general and in, you know, my circle of people, my sphere. And, uh, my, I had started a law firm with some buddies, some colleagues, uh, but we were boutique and one-dimensional while we were trying to build that out. And then the one dimension was just pummeled by uh, the lack of travel uh, during COVID, <laughs> as well as some global politics stuff, supply demand. I was in the, it was an oil and gas thing. Um, so... It's been weird, because that, that folded, uh, which is not a big deal. You know, it was just, hey, we were doing this thing. We tried it out, did it for a few years, and then, or a couple of years with me. And then, but one of them was that. One of them was 2020. <laughs> uh, anyway, my point is not, this is no sob story. My point is that there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and there's a lot of stuff going on in our lives, a lot of changes and adjustments and uncertainties and damn it the only thing <laughs> that I can seem to think of that I can't like get past has nothing to do with any of it not a thing <laughs> for all the things that are not great I feel like emotionally I'm handling them okay like fairly well not great but I'm doing pretty good for me but, so it's, deco okay, I want to be, I want to be clear. The issue is my deconstruction of my spiritual, religious deconstruction, the relative, complete unraveling of my Seventh-day Adventism, okay, which is, <laughs> now that's not the thing that's bothering me. What's bothering me is I can't really talk about it because my entire family is Seventh-day Adventist. Like my parents, my sister, my niece, and my nephew, well, one of my sisters and her kids have two other sisters and two other nieces that aren't Adventist. But everyone else is an Adventist. I have a lot of Adventist friends, not people I necessarily hang out or talk to often. Um, I'm still... I'm still registered as a member somewhere. I haven't been without my parents or my sister. I haven't set foot in an Adventist church in, gosh, I don't know, five years, six. I don't know that Caitlin's ever gone not with my family. Honestly, the other day, she asked me what a Seventh-day Adventist was. Like she just, or she didn't ask me, it came up, and she was like, what's that? Um, like, that's not a great story for, like, my mom to hear, I would imagine. But it's just, I want to talk about it, but I don't want to knock 
the religion. I'm not anti-Adventist. I know a lot of great Adventists. Also, there's a lot of different ways to be an Adventist and believe in Adventism. I, I firmly believe this to be true. Although, I don't think you'd get a lot of people to... Like, if you took a poll, I think the numbers would be skewed by the need to portray a certain level of unity within the denomination. But I would, I would bet pretty much anything that most Seventh-day Adventists aren't Seventh-day Adventists, but are Sabbatarians, meaning they go to church on Saturdays, they observe Sabbath from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. They may not do it well, you know, there's probably a lot that, you know, you know, even that is a wide spectrum of like what's okay to do on the Sabbath or not. Uh, which you're not supposed to buy or sell or anything that would make people work. Cause it's all derived from the fourth commandment. Just go look it up. Um, I would say that most, most Adventists have been fully convicted of the idea that the day of worship and rest matters, that it is the seventh day of the week, that that is determinable from the first week of creation and that it has been what we now call Saturday and it has always been that. There's never been a loss of time or a lack of keeping that time to lose the day. So Saturday, that Saturday now has always been Saturday or the seventh day of the week and that's the day and then that's very, very important. That's what they believe. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that makes you an Adventist. And I don't mean like the diet. I don't mean the lack of jewelry and all that stuff. Like, oh, that's behavior modification. Um, that's a lot of stuff. That's not what I mean. There's a lot of more to it that a lot of people don't even know. My wife, um, my wife was in, my wife uh, was in Chicago in grad school. And we weren't married. We weren't dating, I don't think. We were broken up because she was in Chicago. And she, I don't know how she ended up going to an Adventist church, but she started going to an Adventist church and joined. We got back together. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't going to be a stumbling block, but it was. Like, it, it was going to be a weird thing if she didn't become an Adventist. I never pushed her to, though. Uh, I was like, if she's the right person, she'll find the truth. Like, God will want her to know it and us to work out. So, you know, I wasn't like sitting around waiting on her to do that. But it things kind of fell succinctly in line with getting back together, getting engaged, <laughs> getting married, like right after this. But um, she didn't know half the stuff for another long time. A lot of things she found out sort of while I was deconstructing it. And so I would say, hey, you know, you know how we believe this. Um, I'm questioning this part of it or whatever. And she'd be like, I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Or I didn't hear. It was so long before I heard about that. And I had never really got behind the whole Ellen thing or I didn't really care about that part. I just it was a Sabbath thing. And I think most Adventists become that. Uh, everything else becomes like habit. The way you eat, the way you dress, like what kinds of things you'll watch or not watch, or when you think it's okay for your kids to get into whatever, what kind, you know, like it just all becomes, this is what we did growing up. Um, so you keep a lot of it. And then a lot of people within the church kind of stop going or just doing whatever, but they always like in their hearts or advocacy, you know, like it's the Sabbath. I got to keep the Sabbath, you know, but, um, so my problem, it's whatever, because there's so many different ways of doing things. My problem is, um, the logical end to the, the theology of Seventh-day Adventism which is ultimately uh, 
that if you read through Daniel and Re well, the Daniel part doesn't matter, I guess. If you read through Revelations and you're looking for the mark of the beast and stuff, what we've figured in our wonderful interpretation is that ultimately the world will get behind the Pope empowered by America uh, to institute a day of rest and worship globally and that that'll be Sunday um, and that the entire world will be required. It, it won't necessarily matter what religion you are, but the whole world will be required to worship God however you worship God or your God, but all on Sunday. And when that happens, going to church on Sunday will become the mark of the beast. And anyone that refuses to go to church on Sunday won't be able to buy or sell, will get hunted, and they'll be labeled criminals and murdered and that whole thing. So that there's like a... Like I remember as a kid learning... Some dude like was teaching us the uh, the type of insects that were safe to eat or clean to eat. So that if you had to run out into the woods in the time of trouble um, after not taking the mark, you could like feed yourself off of leaves and uh, insects and stuff. Like there was weird stuff going on. But anyway, um, none of that comes up anymore. Like it was a big deal <laughs> when I was a kid, but it just never comes up anymore. And a lot of churches don't ever talk about it um, because they're probably tired of everybody's saying, hey, you know, this is it. This is when the the laws will happen. Um, but anyway, the reason I bring it up is because most people that are not Christian uh, within Adventism and, you know, evangelicalism in general, Adventists aren't evangelical. I'm just saying, like, in the larger Christian thing, if you're not Christian, you're out, Right. So that's kind of the idea. So Adventism has that too, right? So the non-Christians are out anyway. Um, and so then you have Christians left. Christians mostly go to church on Sunday. So if the president got on TV and was like, hey, everybody, we're all going to go to church on Sunday this weekend. You'd be like, all right. Like, I was doing that anyway, you know? So, um, but now you have the mark of the beast. <laughs> Once that happens, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Uh, but I'm just, I'm pointing out the numbers here. So everyone that's not a Christian, which is like two-thirds of the world, done for, right? 90% of Christianity, there's only 25 million Adventists on the planet. There's like 2 million in uh, America. Two. Out of 370 million people or whatever, there's 2 million Adventists, all right? So the the ones here that aren't so okay so if you go don't go to church you're not doing your jesus thing you're out um if you do go to church and you continue to go to church on sunday because the president said hey we're going to do what we usually do on sundays you're out and then if you're going to church on saturday when this happens you're okay right but then you've also got to be pretty laced up buttoned down otherwise like it's not like you can just be out here wild and and then go to church on saturday and it's okay you know so you've got to be living a very particular lifestyle and those are the only people that are alive when jesus returns which is could be tomorrow for all we know uh well not tomorrow it'd have to wait through sunday because we'd have to have an opportunity to take the mark um but when he shows up everyone dies but those few adventists that's the theology of the end. It's an eschatological thing, but Adventism's all about being in the end times right now. So it, even though it could be far in the future, it's usually thought of as right around the corner. So it's something you really do, in my opinion, have to talk about more often. Um, well, not more often, but we, we talk about the second coming and the need to be ready and the imminence of it all the time. What we don't really talk about too much is how it means that like 99.9995% of the human population would be killed by God at his return. Like, I mean, they die. He doesn't like slaughter them. They die in his presence.
because they're sinners. And so if everyone's lost, everyone, according to the theology, then we should be taking that rather seriously and trying to either fix everyone to understand that the mark is coming and you need to be keeping the Sabbath now and everything else we're going to tell you. Or we need to reevaluate that belief because that's not a big win for the for the big guy upstairs to snatch like conservatively speaking let's say half the adventists um don't take the mark <laughs> uh with a gun to their head they're like all right i'll just go to church with y'all i mean honestly what i don't understand why you wouldn't just do both why wouldn't you just go to church on saturday and then go to church the next day everything's fine i don't get it <laughs> there's so many ways to hack this also what on earth why would everyone get why would the whole world get behind it like and i know i'm asking this question at a, at a weird time because lord knows adventism is truly enjoying at ministers adventism ministers are enjoying all the pandemic puns they can work into their sermons uh and also all the the logical steps all the conspiracy theories uh about how the pandemic kind of like lubed us up for a global worship thing like if you're all gonna wear masks because they told you to globally then how different would it be to be like go to church on sunday you'll just do it right and it's like well no because <laughs> one thing is a health thing that we're doing all the time every day and the other thing is you telling me how to worship like that's weird that we think like it's always been a thing for me like how on earth would we get the buddhists to care what we said about what they should do you know like like why would they all of a sudden be like okay i guess we'll all go do the whatever we're doing somewhere together on sunday why would the hindus care what we were telling them to do like they're like hey man we've been praying how we pray over here it's been working just fine like you know like i don't i don't it's tough. Anyway, that's not the point. I've laughed about these concepts for decades while I strongly, 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 strongly believed them. I'm not mocking them now. They've always sounded far-fetched. The issue became, for me, I had so much fear wrapped around all of this stuff. Uh, you know, I have kids. So once I had them, I start remembering all the things from my child. You know, you've got to teach them about the time of trouble. You've got to warn them about uh, being martyred. Uh, and I, I look at my son and how sensitive he is, just like me, or I was. And uh, I'm like, nah, I can't. I can't. I can't put on him the burden of having to believe everyone he knows most likely will go to hell. And what's interesting is my parents don't think that. They don't think that. Like they're not walking around thinking all these other people are going they they really don't believe that. They don't think that's even necessarily an Adventist teaching. And it's because we don't anymore say that out loud very much. But there's no other outcome. If it's all, it's, there's no other outcome. I mean, I, I guess they're hopeful that enough people will have heard about Adventism that whenever the Pope and um, the president that goes nutso, whenever they get on TV until everyone to go to church on Sunday, people will remember their one Adventist friend they knew that one time say something about that being the mark of the beast and not do it. 
Um, and so then you'll have this huge swath of Christianity, first day Christians as we call them, uh, stop being first day when it's mandated, which I do actually see happening. Like that, that would happen, you know, but not because of a belief in Adventism. It'd be, hey, the government is infringing on the First Amendment right of religion, freedom of assembly, and telling us when to do it. So just to spite them, we're going to do it another time. Like, you know, like <laughs> it would win people to not do that, but not in a spirit you would think would then be rewarded. Because if you're going to reward someone for spitefully not going to church on Sunday, how do you punish, and this was the big one, how does God justify punishing people that believe dearly and love him dearly for going to a house of worship to worship him just because it's on the wrong day? Like, I... Like a big thing that we think of is like you're you're responsible for the knowledge you have. So people that go to church on whatever day aren't at risk of being lost for not keeping the Sabbath unless they know they're supposed to keep the Sabbath. So it's not until you meet one of us that tries to convince you of the Sabbath that it becomes your obligation. That doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't get that justification. And we have a lot of little justifications for a lot of things like that. But that doesn't make any sense. Because if we're saying that we're keeping the Sabbath because of the fourth commandment in Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11, and that's in everybody's Bible, and everyone has a Bible, either hardbound, leatherbound, or on their phone, then everybody knows that, period. Like, I don't get it. I don't get how right-wingers can throw the Ten Commandments on Capitol lawns all over the place all the time, but not be credited with having read the fourth one. So in my opinion... Adventism is condemning every other denomination. But we don't because we say it's not until you know. And it's not just when you know, but like when it, you realize it's true. Which is like a weird... It's a weird barrier to place. But it, it's a thing that helps you not, I guess, walk through the world losing your mind. Because that's what I was doing. Like it was like... I was, I remember, like, I feel like the day it snapped. I was sitting at my desk. It was my first day at uh, this law firm, law firm I worked at seven years ago. Eight years? I don't know how long ago it was. I was there for, like, six years, and I've been gone, I think, three. So maybe it was nine years ago. Uh, but it was the first day I sat there. Had to be seven. Caitlin, Caitlin, we were pregnant with Caitlin. Um, I sat there. It was my first day. I was looking out the window. And I was like, okay. My wife is about to have our second child. We're only having two. She has solidified her career. She's stable. I've taken this, you know, top floor downtown law firm job with my own office and window, you know, that whole thing. So I'm like, I'm finally stable, <laughs> which is funny from how I started this podcast, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I'm finally stable. The, the climb is over. Like there's stuff to do. There's still things to achieve. You know, there's work to be done. But in terms of like shaping the picture the postcard, like we're, we're about wrapping it up. You know, I've got the, the, the thing to say I do, the place to say I work. She does too. 
here are our kids. You know, like we're we formed the unit that I must now lead as a Bible belty husband and father, uh, fundamentalist as well. Um, so I'm sitting there at the at my desk. I turn, I look out my window. And it hit me. It was like, okay, you're done building you. You never thought you'd get here because you thought, you know, you've been told the Sunday blue laws are coming and Jesus is coming super, super soon since you were two. So you never thought you were even going to graduate high school. You figured the whole world would be done by now. Now you're here, you've, you're twice as old as that almost, you know, and you're done, you're done, like you wanted to experience stuff, you've experienced stuff, you're done, now it is time, you know, and I'm looking out the window down on all these cars driving by, people walking around, now it's time to save all of them, because all of them aren't Adventist, <laughs> you know, whatever they believe. Maybe they don't believe anything. Maybe they're Christian, but they need to keep the Sabbath. They need to know. They need to know about Daniel 8.14. They need to know about 18.44. They need to know about the investigative judgment, sanctuary doctrine. They need to know about the Sabbath, and they need to know now because time has been short for 20 years, which was already short for 150 years. And they're all, they're all gonna be lost. So you, ha you have to do something with that, I guess. And thinking, well, they just don't know about the Sabbath. So they're good. Like we're basically saying as long as they die before the Sunday blue laws, they'll be fine. They'll be saved on the merits of, you know, whatever they believed. Whatever their not level of scriptural and godly knowledge was. If they were living to the standard of what they knew, they'll be fine. Now, if any of that sounded like works-based, it's because it is. Well, now, Adventism's not. We're faith-based. Jesus is the one that saves. You can't save yourself. It's grace. But we also very much say that you've got to be doing what you know to be doing. So it's a mixture it's a weird mixture. But what I did know was that those people weren't doing what I knew I needed to do. And I wasn't doing a great job at some of the stuff <laughs> I knew I needed to do. I was really worried about me. I was worried about them. And then I'm worried about making my kid worried about them. Because it was breaking me. And it was honestly the advice of my parents, uh, like to just kind of dig back in, uh, run all through it, the Bible, the, the testimonies, you know, that's the writings of Ellen White uh, for the uninitiated. And uh, just figure out why I'm why I'm looking at things the way I'm looking at things, and why it's troubling me so much, and not seeming to bother anybody else. Uh, and what's funny is I've heard so many other deconstruction processes, like other people's stories, that started the exact same way. They weren't Adventists. It was, you know, largely the evangelical crowd. But, you know, it's very similar. It's, there's a way to live in belief. And if you're not 
in that and you're not believing, um, you'll be lost. And these super zealous little kids grow up and they're like, hey, man, what are we doing? Like, why are we going to work every day and like paying taxes and sitting around with and reading books? Like, why are we not screaming from every microphone, megaphone, and mountaintop we can find? The truth. Why aren't we telling all these people about the Sabbath and what they need to do? And, you know, stop eating pork. And, you know, like, uh, like why aren't we doing that? And it's always like, yeah, you know, we really need to. And you just got to do it in your area and your space. Like the people you come in contact with when you have the opportunity to bring up some stuff, bring it up. You know, that's the Holy Spirit giving you a nudge. And then you just drop the nugget. Uh, Holy Spirit waters that seed and... You know, if that person is dedicated and committed and really wants to follow the truth, they'll understand what you said. Eventually, you'll look into it. And, you know, Holy Spirit will work on them, and they'll come around. And but we've always said that. I never. Th- my wife's the only person I've met that wasn't an Adventist when I met them that ended up becoming an Adventist later. The only one. I've told lots of people. I brought lots of girls to church. You know what I'm saying? Like I <laughs> I uh it's just the people around us were, you know, they're second and third generation. They're college students that are just kind of passing through. Like, you know, my my parents' church, they've churned out some people. Uh it's a tiny, tiny little church. And so no one ever stays because um, they're like, like I said, they're like college students that come through and they go around. I don't know if they're Adventists when they show up. Some of them were, some of them weren't. Um, but it's like the ratio, the turnaround. Like I said, there's only two million in America. Two. So it's um, bleak, man. It's bleak. Uh, I forgot where exactly I was going with that, but, and I hate it. I hate, I hate talking about this like this, right? This is me just saying some stuff, but these things are so important to people that I feel obligated to give specifics. Like this is the thing, this is one of the things that bothers me. This is what. I don't believe about it or whatever. Um, and I don't, I don't know anybody that. And it's hard, it's hard to accept that. Like, it's hard for me to be able to say, you can just say, it's not for you anymore. You don't have to prove your way out. Um, But it's it's like, it's too difficult. I don't know. It's too difficult to say. Because I did. I did have to prove my way out. To me. Like, this wasn't, I wasn't like, hey, I'm in a, this is optional. It wasn't, hey, I grew up this because this is what my parents were. My parents weren't this and became this. Like, they were Baptists, I guess. And became Adventists because they found the truth when I was two. And they learned it with me sitting next to them. Every week, driving 90 miles back and forth, like their their whole Adventist life is inside of mine. It's all I've ever known. So there wasn't like a, this is what the Bible meant. And now this is what I think it means. It was just, this is what the Bible says. Nothing. There is no whiff of the idea of what Adventists think being an interpretation. Not a whiff. That It's never like, this is how we interpret. No. This is what the Bible says. Everybody else 
interpretation is wrong. They have an interpretation. They're interpreting this wrong. We're just reading it. We're reading it right. That's what it is. So there, for me, the idea was it's Adventism or nothing. Because this is what the Bible says. If I don't think this anymore, then I don't believe the Bible, right? That was the concept that was taught to me, ultimately. And so, like, I, I had nothing, there was nothing I could do. I was like, I believe in the, I mean, I think, I believe in a higher power. I believe there's more than this. Not in this, not necessarily in the sense of, like, places to be. I just mean, I feel like I have experienced things that are, that were just not here, you know, not uh, visible, tangible. Like, I believe in spirit wholeheartedly. And I believe that what that thing is, we call a lot of names, God being one of them. I don't know the limitations of spirit. Or if spirit has limitations. Or if spirit's extremely limited. I don't know. I feel like there is something. Um, experientially. Okay, and I'm, I'm hammering that home because that was tied to my biblical interpretation, which was the dogma and theology of Adventism. So if I experientially believe in something greater than me, then that thing wanted mankind to know about it. That is where Bible comes from. Bible equal Adventism. If there is something, Adventism. Okay? Like, that's me. Like, I'm just trying to draw the connect dots. So there was no way of not, there's no way of leaving Adventism. There's no way of disbelieving Adventism unless you throw God away. Not something I was willing to do, you know? And I've talked about this. This is this is why this whole thing went haywire from the jump. There's an episode way back years ago called The Heavy One where I said uh, I felt as though whatever is out there was telling me to let it go because the way I was holding on to it was killing me, right? This is me talking more about me being killed by that. <laughs> Um, and so to, the only way out, the only way to question was to get out completely. And I didn't really, um, what I did was I thought, look, I'll just go back through. I don't know what part of my dogma. So what part, part of the sermons, the lessons, the devotionals the external writings the like i said the testimonies of ellen which is hundreds of page hundred thousand pages of stuff she wrote you know all over the place about everything uh something somewhere created a thing i didn't want to believe in because the thing experientially whatever spirit is can't be okay with the outcome my theology says will be the outcome. Like it doesn't match Jesus, God, doesn't match to me. It kind of matches some Old Testament-y stuff, but uh, just, it didn't fully, it just didn't seem right. It didn't seem like the revealed image. Uh, so I was like, look, the closest we can get, if there is anything, any divine messages. The closest thing we can get is just the Bible. 
and maybe you know the apocrypha there's other stuff but i'm saying like i'm just gonna look at just the bible and see where we get um and give that to my kids uh because i don't know that the rest of it is worth passing at least not anytime soon uh and then the whole whole daggum thing just (laughs) it fell apart because here's what happened because i had to make that choice it's either adventism or nothing i didn't have to go back and read the bible to prove what i thought was true i had to go back and disprove what everyone else that reads the bible thinks is true Does that make sense? I don't know why I'm asking a question to no one, but (laughs) what I had to do was I had to go back to, for instance, because that's where I started, Genesis 1. And I had to say, everyone that believes in God, everyone that believes in Scripture, but thinks that Genesis 1 is not about a literal week just six to 10,000 years ago. Um, Because that's what literalist, creationist, fundamentalists believe, which was Adventism's under that umbrella. Everyone that's a believer that believes anything else about Genesis 1, I need to know what they think, why they think it, and how I can disprove that. And I'll just work my way through. I bought, I bought a book, an encyclopedia of biblical difficulties. It's not an Adventist book. It's a book by some other nutbag fundamentalists that, uh, and I say that affectionately. I'm a nutbag. Affectionate, okay? Uh, they go through the Bible. I heard about this from Rachel Held Evans. The greatest of all time Rachel Held Evans um may she rest very peacefully she mentioned don't tell a kid with questions that there's a bible that answer or there's a book that answers them because you get the encyclopedia of biblical difficulties and you start reading through all these contradictions that they're explaining away that you'd never thought about you already had some you knew. They're probably, a lot of them aren't in there. Because these, you know, these people are coming from a perspective. Like if an Adventist wrote this encyclopedia like this, there would be explanations for most, a lot of things, but there wouldn't be for everything because you just missed some stuff, right? That book's as thick as my Bible is. Think about that. It's as thick as the Bible, <laughs> dang near. And it explains all the things that if you were just reading the Bible might be conflicting or confusing to you. So here's how you can read this as one united text, right? They don't think Genesis 1 is a literal week. Do you understand what I'm saying? (laughs) So what happened to me is literally I got stuck in Genesis 1, 2, 3. Three, four, five, up to six. I think whenever the uh, the sons of God and the daughters of men get to making giant babies, um, up to that point, I got stuck there for five years. That is not an exaggeration. I'm embarrassed, but it's not an exaggeration. Five years. I'd go to work. I'd come home. I'd play with the kids. We'd have dinner. We'd do whatever we're doing. They'd go to bed. I would start listening to a podcast, reading something, or just firing off different translations of Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Buying books about Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 from all kinds of perspectives. I couldn't get past it. I couldn't get past it. And I was like, this sucks. This sucks. I was going to quickly work through this thing and be like, here's the deal. Here you are, kids. Christianity, you know? (laughs) And 
I couldn't get, I couldn't even get a quarter of the way into the first book. Couldn't do it. And I come across uh, Pete Inns. I don't know how. I don't remember how I came across Pete. Um, it was real early on in the process. I had read The Bible Tells Me So and The Sin of Certainty. Um, and then I bought, gosh, is it the incarnation and inspiration or is it the Adam one? I forget. I have a bunch of Pete Inns books. I think I have them all. <laughs> um, but I liked his scholarly work. I liked the way he was looking at things, however I had found him. And I was like, I want to know. He has a book that talks about Genesis, so I wonder what he says. Um, and he starts talking about the Torah and that there are um, clear signs that there are various source material that was edited together that forms the Torah. He was talking about the documentarian hypothesis uh, and that it's an ongoing kind of field of study of scholarship, but is the prevailing view of biblical scholarship that there's like five at least different um, writers or not writers, but five different writings that are interlaced and overlaid where there are commonalities uh, or they tell the same story. And so these things, or they tell a continuation of a story or whatever, that are laid together by an editor really, really well. And sometimes stories are laid on top of each other. Like there's, according to the hypothesis at least, there are two flood stories that are on top of each other. So they read as one. But in one of them, like the flood lasts like 40 days. And in the other one, it's a year. But like if you pull them out and read, because I bought this as well. I have a, I have a Torah. No, I think it's the whole Old Testament maybe. Um, no, it's got to just be the Torah. Uh, with the sources that they've identified uh, in different font, font color, boldness, italics, all that kind of thing. So there's labeled, and you can read through there. You read the Bible just like it is. Or you can just read, you know, all of the bold blue parts. And if you just read the parts that are all the same, it flows. They flow. They flow like they were one story. And then because they had all of these stories, these the group of people, you know, this, it doesn't matter. I didn't know anything about that, right? So I'm like, look, is there any way of reading uh, in the evening and the morning was the first day and thinking that could take a long time or this could have been a long time ago or this is a, a poem or you know, an allegory or, you know, whatever, like, Pete will know, like he's the scholar, what you know, and he's like, oh, by the way, <laughs> whoever wrote Genesis 1 didn't write Genesis 2, or they at least wrote them at different times and stuff. God's got different name in the two chapters, uh, like this whole thing. And I was, I was not ready for that. My goal was to Adventism to the kids or nothing. And so I'm like, how do you read the Bible like a non-Adventist so I can prove that Adventists are reading the Bible right? And then Pete's like, you don't even know what the Bible is. You know, <laughs> you're looking at it completely too close. Christianity looks at it too close in general. Adventism is hard bolted to that thing um 
so it's very strange. I'm in a very strange place because I just wanted to prove, I wanted to double down. And an entire new world opened up. Like I was, I'm not saying this about Adventists. Let me be clear. I'm saying this about me. I was in a 2D world when it comes to religious things. Black and white, flat, line, 2D world. This is what it is. That is what it's not. And I know I'm making two allegories right now. I'm, I'm talking about a dichotomy while saying 2D. I'm, I'm not comparing those two. I'm doing two different things for some strange reason. It was two-dimensional. So what happened wasn't, oh, turn right, turn left. It's, holy shit, there's an up and a down. This circle is a sphere. Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, and looking at the way I was, what I had was a, what I call a pyramid of Christian truth, right? What Adventism is, is it's all the things that existed before it that the people that founded it believed were right. So it's, you know, Sabbatarianism came from Seventh-day Baptists. Uh, our state of the dead, like Adventists believe that when people die, they're just dead. They're in the ground, sleeping, dead. And no one is in heaven or hell. Uh, well, there's a few people in heaven, but ultimately no one's really in heaven or, or hell. And it's only at the second coming that people go to heaven the dead in Christ and the living that have passed the test. Uh, they go. And then after like a thousand years, they come back. The dead bad people are risen from their graves, all 99% of them. And then they're burned. And then they're burned up. There's no eternal conscious torment. There's just temporary conscious torment. We got that from the Methodists. I don't know which branch of Methodism, I don't know, but we got that from them. And so what Adventism did then is they found all these truths that other minds have brought in and then with their prophetess added the capstone. They built a pyramid of truth. And so there's just junk, that bricks we didn't need from places, other religions or whatever. But this pyramid of truth, this, and so we've got this ultimate, these ultimate theological discussions from Daniel and Revelation that are the capstone. They're the things that are for the last days and that only we know and only we teach. That's the top of the pyramid. That was what we had. We knew the most truth. And you're like, okay, fine. You've really nailed down a tenuously and really stretched out form of a of a of a path of a message but it's on this plane from how you've looked at it you've limited your options by how you've looked at your source material which required kind of a secondary source ellen to get the message to work with the primary source. But all of that was necessary because we were looking at it two-dimensionally. So when that first source is not this plane, it's not the straight line you're looking at, you look up and you're like, I'm inside of a massive sphere. There's no pyramid of truth. Just volumes, gaseous galactic web of all kinds of stuff in here. And we've taken random, not random, but we've taken source material. We've, ta we've taken what ultimately, likely, is in exile. You have the northern 
Hebrew, the southern Hebrew, they're separated, Judea and, I don't know, um, Judah, I mean, Judah and whatever, I don't know, I'm not a, that guy, um, they're split, and they're, they've got oral traditions, they've got stories, they've got messages, they've got what they, they've, they've got ideas about things that are greater than them, a God, a source, and they've articulated that in some way and told it through their story. And then they unite it again. They come back from exile. And they've got their story while they were over there. And we've got our story while we were over here. And someone put them together. They named them, there's chapters, you know. But these all got put together. But they weren't written together. And I don't just mean like breaking up the Torah. You don't have to believe in the documentarian hypothesis. I don't, it doesn't affect me one way or the other. But I'm saying, first, first second Samuel, first and second Kings tell a history. First and second Chronicles tells the same history. Tells it differently. Is it the same? Because they've 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 written their story in exile and they wrote it again when they were back. Because it was they were telling a different story now. We have a new tradition and what they lovingly and brilliantly did was leave it all in there. This is what they thought. This is what we think. You can have them both so you can figure out what you think. Because the Bible, in my opinion, is not a statement. It's not a declaration. It's a discussion. And when the people, the cultures that wrote the Bible down, they went to scripture. They went to scripture to start talking. Another Rachel Hold Evans thing. They go to scripture to begin a conversation. We in Christianity in general, evangelicalism in general, and Adventism for daggum specifics, we go to end it. We don't have to listen to you about whatever because the Bible says this. You can do your thing over there, but we know better because the Bible says this. The Bible says a lot of things that it don't really say. You understand? <laughs> like, you can find anything. You can justify anything. You can find anything when it's this hard wall but when it's the starting point oh what so i couldn't disprove genesis 1 <laughs> from every other perspective i love every other perspective i love the one that says all of this is nonsense why are you looking at it? I love that perspective too. I love them all. And they were all off limits. And everyone that believed in any of them was doomed unless I fixed them before. And I don't have that weight anymore. I don't have to save you. And it doesn't feel better <laughs> because I can't say it out loud. I can't admit it. But I tried. I tried. I read myself. I studied myself out of Adventism, which is hilarious to me because we always say that that's how people get in you study yourself in you look hard enough you'll finally see it 
I looked real hard, yo. <laughs> I saw it. I saw a lot of things. And I see all the assumptions we're built on. I see, I see the bias in our founding. I see the need to pivot after the great disappointment. I get it. I get what they did. I get what happened. So I'm not knocking it. I just, the outcome of it, the lifestyle, fine. It's beautiful. Beautiful Adventists. But the, the outcome's not godly. It's not love. It's not justice. It's not the right, wrongs being made right. It's just not. And I'm sorry. I, I hate to be whatever that is for people. But that's not. And if you can't, you can't just throw out the end. You can't just say, look, this is how we look at things. This is how that seems like it would end up. But that can't be right. So that's just not how it'll end up. No. If you walk down a path and don't like where it leads, you can't just ignore where it led. Get off the damn... I'm not telling people to get off the path. Let me, let me walk that back. I'm saying something should trigger you that something is off. If the natural outcome of your religious beliefs is everybody goes to hell, that's odd. I mean, Jesus hardly even mentions hell, which he doesn't. He talks about Gehenna, which was a real place. I don't want to get in this whole thing. But there's a real good chance. I'll say it. There are clear moments in like history past when the canon was closed where these ideas about heaven and hell and that being the ultimate end for everything and let's get off this rock kind of deal started. Um, they're not ancient, these ideas. Like if you go through the Old Testament, ain't nobody talking about going to heaven. Nobody. Right? Like Enoch walks off and is no more, you know. But like, no one talks about that. And so it's really a thing that had to have the resurrection of Jesus to even discuss. Right? So, I mean, there's a huge period of time where that's not the point. It's not the point. So if the like majority of scripture isn't about going to heaven or hell, then how can the final outcome be dang near everybody goes to hell? Right? Anyway, I know that's weird for people. It was probably too weird for people, but that it is what it is. I'm taking too much of your time. Uh, and I think we've reached the point where usual, I decide not to post this. Uh, but you know what? It did. It finally, it did. It kind of felt good. I don't have to save you. I've never said that out loud, man. I'm not a hundred percent sure I had pieced that all together. What the weight really was. I don't have to save you. There's nothing I could do to do it anyway, you know? Listen, whatever is out there. It loves you. It's all love. Uh, it's all it's ever done. It's eternally outpouring love. We as humans, as long as there has been the ability to put language into the air, have tried to articulate that mysterious thing. We have always done it 
in our context, in our space, in our time, in our experience. We have never gotten it right. It is my belief that no one has monopoly on truth. No one has a plurality on truth. But love is close. <laughs> love is the compass, right? And if you veer away from it, you're not going towards the source. It's that simple. And love can do better than a bunch of tests of obedience and tests of whether or not you'll pray enough and obey enough and study enough to eventually maybe kind of sort of realize what it is that Adventism says you need to realize to be a high priest in the royal priesthood of Jesus who intercedes for you now. Love wouldn't make it this difficult to dig your way to the path. Like again, there is no denomination like Adventism. We teach things no one teaches. But we think that those things, once we know them, have to be applied because they are the truth. You've got to climb, but you've got to climb your way there. You've got to climb your way there. We can tell you, you won't necessarily believe it first off. You've got to keep studying and praying about it until you believe it. You've got to climb your way to understanding the simple, plain, clear truth that love wants you to have so it can save you. I don't think love works that way. It's not how I work with my, my wife. It's not how I work with my children. They're not earning their way to me. They get me, all of me, as often as I can give it. That's what love does. It's not exclusive. It's get in here and take all of this love. <laughs> you know, come on. That's better. Feels good. I'm not certain. I don't know anything. But that's better. Uh, this was a really long episode of the You Are Not Listening to This Podcast. I love you.